it, if, if, what? Close the door. Yes, actually, yes. Close the door. Please. Uh, so, Peter Lightheart, the pastor of Trinity Reformed Church in Moscow, Idaho, senior fellow of theology and literature at New St. Andrews College, has this to say about the Song of Songs. Medieval Christians were obsessed with the Song of Songs. No book of the Bible received such intensely devoted attention in commentary and preaching. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a 12th century French abbot, preached 86 sermons on the Song of Songs. And he died just as he was getting started on chapter 3. You think I take my time. But the song, Lightheart says, has a much diminished place in the modern Christian imagination. Time has far passed to reverse that trend. But it is worth reversing only if the song is recovered as allegory. I could not disagree more. Everything he set up to then, I think, is all true. But I do not believe that reversing the trend of the diminished place of the Song of Songs is only worth doing if it is recovered as allegory. Because this, the Word of God, is a beautiful poem as it is. And God, in His wisdom, has chosen by His Spirit to guard, having inspired an entire book of the Bible that's about sex. It's not about love. It's not about relationships. It's not about marriage. And I really don't think it's about the relationship between God and Israel or Christ and the church or the Holy Spirit and the individual believer or the relationship between the human and divine natures of Christ and His hypostatic union. This book is about sex. Now, there are profitable ways that it can be read otherwise. I'll talk a little bit about that. But as this book is about sex and as what we do here at New Hope is read the Bible and read the books of the Bible as they're given to us, we are going to be reading this book about sex as a book about sex for the next nine weeks. So I want to lay out a few ground rules, if I may. Number one, no kids. Now, nursing infants are probably not going to remember anything that will scar them permanently, uh, but otherwise, uh, we would encourage you to take proper advantage of kids' community. Number two, no whining. <clears throat> One of the reasons that we give all the necessary warnings about what kind of a sermon this is and what kind of a poem this is is that we don't want anybody writing in letters saying, I cannot believe that you said, no, spare us. No whining. Number three, no assuming. Now, in the course of talking about sex, I may well mention examples from sexual relationships with which I am personally familiar. And having been pastor of this church for nine years, and if you look downstairs in the nursery, you will know that there are quite a number of sexual relationships with which I have pastoral familiarity. I also served for five years as pastor at, at Grace. 
I have a great many friends and colleagues of various denominational and religious stripes with whom I'm pleased to be in relationship, among whom we often discuss situations. So if I mention something and you think I may be talking about you or some situation you know, that probably is not the case, and even if it is, the polite assumption is that it isn't. Moreover, I will simply note for the record that this has been three years in coming. Three years ago, I intended to preach this series, and I broke my foot. Then two years ago, I planned to preach this series, and I blew my knee out. Matthew prayed this morning that I would not trip on my way up to the pulpit. (laughs) But the truth is that if we were to wait until every marriage relationship in this body were healthy and strong, if we were to wait until every single person is in a state of celibate integrity, we would be waiting forever to do this. I remember... One person emailed me and asked if the congregation was mature enough, and Tim is now standing up. He's not the one who sent it. I just thought I'd mention. One person asked if the congregation was mature enough to handle this. And again, if we were to wait till everybody in the congregation were mature enough to handle this, we would be waiting forever. We are dealing with the situation we're dealing with. And if it happens to be that something that we're talking about here, Joe or I is preaching about, has particular relevance to a situation that you're dealing with, do not assume that I don't have the guts to tell that to you personally, but I had to preach it to the whole congregation just for your benefit. It may just be a coincidence of timing, and that it also may be the Holy Spirit at work. I don't put any bounds on what he can do. You shouldn't either. So no kids, no whining, no assuming. Fourth, no confusion. This is a song about sex. It's a poem that delights in talking about the sexual relationship between two people. And it does not necessarily situate that sexual relationship between these two young lovers in a marriage relationship. Now, it is the clear teaching of Scripture and the clear teaching of the church that God's good gift of sexuality is to be celebrated and explored and enjoyed in the context of a stable, monotonous, merit, a monogamous marriage relationship. <laughs> there, are two, there are two states of being, basically, according to Scripture. There's married and there's not married. And people who are married should live like they're married, and people who are not married should live like they're not married. Now, We have at other times gone into that sort of thing in detail. We won't be doing it here. I just want to make sure nobody is thinking that if I'm preaching about how wonderful sex is, I'm suggesting that it is wonderful to be explored outside of the proper bounds that God has established for it. This is a corollary to the no whining principle. I am now making this clear, and I'm hoping that you all will not be confused. If you have questions, if you have Any concerns, of course, along the way, I encourage you to contact me. My email is on the back. And we will be, as the series goes, uh, making it uh, possible for you to to give uh, special um, input or to ask particular questions as we go. Finally, the ground rule, no bullshit. And this is an R-rated sermon, so I feel perfectly comfortable saying that. We live in the real world. I'm not going to pretend that things are other than they are. I'm not going to pretend that this poem is other than it is. I promise that I will not try to candy coat things and I will not try to make them more acceptable 
or less bothersome or troubling or offensive, I would ask the same favor of you that we not get all pious about this this stuff, but that as we engage with this song about sex, that we would deal with what God has given us as it is. So no kids, no whining, no assuming, no confusion, and no bullshit. With that, Jeremy, it is business time. We'll do another song. Girl, tonight we're gonna make love. You know how I know, baby? Cause it's Wednesday. (laughs) And Wednesday night is the night that we make love. Tuesday night's the night that we go and visit your mother, but Wednesday night is the night that we make love. Cause everything is just right. Conditions are perfect. There's nothing good on TV. Conditions are perfect. You're leaning close and say something sexy like, I might go to bed, I've got work in the morning. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. It's business time. Next thing you know, we're in the bathroom, brushing our teeth. That's all part of it, that's foreplay. (laughs) Then you go sort out the recycling, that's not part of it, but it's still very important. (laughs) Then, we're in the bedroom. You're wearing that ugly old baggy t-shirt from that team building exercise you did for your old work. And it's never looked better on you. Oh, you don't know what you're doing to me. I remove my jeans, but trip over them because I still got my shoes on. But then I turn it into a sexy dance. Next thing you know, I'm down to just my socks. And you know when I'm down to just my socks, what time it is. It's time for business. It's business time. You only need two minutes, because I'm so intense. (laughs) Two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. (laughs) You say something like, is that it? I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, oh yeah, that's it. (laughs) Then you tell me you want some more. Well, I'm not surprised. But I'm quite sleepy. 
Sucks. <laughs> Song of Songs, Chapter One, Shir Hashirim, Asher Shlomo. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Oh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I and lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Don't stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I've neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock, where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you don't know, most beautiful women follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. What on earth is going on here? The pronouns alone will drive you nuts. Look at the, just verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. If somebody were writing this down as a story, it would immediately be sent back, bleeding red ink, by a teacher that said, learn how to make your pronouns agree. But this is not a story. This is a poem, and like most poetry, it takes full advantage of language, playing with it using it for its own purposes. Thanks to the nature of the Hebrew language, we know, and it's hard to convey this in English, which is why most translations will indicate who is speaking. We know that at times we have a woman speaking about her beloved. We have at times a group of friends often thought of as the daughters of Jerusalem, kind of like a Greek chorus or Paul Schaefer, somebody who adds in a little commentary on the side, moving the story along. And sometimes we have the voice of the lover, the man talking about his beloved. But we have this magnificent, vivid poetry that talks about kisses. We'll see it gets more explicit. And even when it is not explicitly explicit, it is still pretty darn 
erotic. We find love being compared to everything from wine, jewels, beautiful things we find in nature, as well as majestic creations of human creativity and artistry. This is a poem which delights in sex. This is a poem in which two people who are passionately in love with each other talk unabashedly about what they delight in about the other. Some of these things are difficult for us to understand simply because some of them are not the kinds of things that we encounter. So when he says, I liken you to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh, unless you're really into Meryl Streep, you might not think of describing her as looking like a horse as a very positive thing. It's probably not harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. It's probably running among the chariots of Pharaoh because Pharaoh's enemies learned that one good way to distract the stallions pulling Pharaoh's chariots would be to set a mare loose among them. They would lose focus on what their immediate responsibility was. In other words, he's saying, you drive me buck wild, girl. (laughs) Verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh. Resting between my breasts, my lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. How handsome are you, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. This is not about architecture or interior design. They're having sex outdoors. This kind of language made a lot of folk uncomfortable. The rabbis believed that until you reached a certain age, you shouldn't even be allowed to read this, along with a couple of other things, including the first chapter of Ezekiel. As Lightheart mentioned, many medieval commentators dwelt in loving detail on the Song of Songs is an allegory of love between God and his people, God and the church, God and the individual believer. Bernard of Clairvaux did say, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth was all about the hypostatic union between Jesus' human and divine natures as facilitated by the Holy Spirit. Rashi, the great Jewish exegete, read to me, my lover, is a sachet of myrrh lying all night between my breasts as a reference to that Shekinah, the glory of God, between the cherubim standing on the ark. Cyril of Alexandria believed that it referred to the Old and New Testaments between which stands Christ. A father named Justice Ugolensis identified the breasts with the learned teachers of the church, which I think would probably be a compliment And a writer who claimed to be Cassiodorus but wasn't 
thought that the verse referred to the crucifixion of Christ, kept an eternal remembrance between the believers' breasts. But I do not think this is what the author of the song is trying to convey. Do you? This is stirring love poetry. This is a song about sex. But perhaps more accurately, it's not a song, but a collection of songs. It's not a single tune. It's a record album. It's not a poem. It's a collection of poetry. If you try to read this as a single continuous narrative, you'll find yourself very frustrated and confused because it doesn't work that way. If you find yourself trying to make specific sense of everything that is going on, you will find yourself frustrated and confused because some of it is just magnificent poetry that is designed to transport you to a different cognitive dimension. But this is what God has given us. It is glorious. It is beautiful. We are going to be dwelling on it lovingly over the next nine weeks. Terribly excited about this, not just because I managed to make it to the pulpit without breaking anything for once. We believe here at New Hope that God has given us His Word because there are things that we need to learn from it. There are ways in which His Holy Spirit teaches us and corrects us, straightens us out, that only happen through the Word as it's read, as it's preached, as we study it together. We believe that all Scripture is inspired, that it all is authoritative, that it all is trustworthy, and that it all is for us to read. It may well be that if you are a celibate monk or otherwise single, it's useful to read the Song of Songs as an allegory. It's useful for you to think about the love that God has for us. That's not necessarily a bad way to read it. It's just not the primary way that the author, I think, is trying to give it to us. We trust that God, in his wisdom, preserved this collection of poems that he inspired for our good. We think that if we have questions, which no doubt we do, about sex, that a good place to turn would be the single book of the Bible that's all about that and nothing else. No? This is, after all, what we do here on Sundays. And in the no-nonsense department, the no-bullshit department, Let me emphasize that all of us know from personal experience what it is to have sexual brokenness. All of us, as I think Paul amply demonstrated in Romans 1 through 4, which we went through before this, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that's in all areas. Sex is one of those. Some of our shortcomings are more impressive than others. Some of our shortcomings are more dangerous than others. Some are more illegal than others. But all of our shortcomings are shortcomings. All of us are broken sexually. Or, to put it another way, I'm looking at a room full of sexual perverts. And you're looking at one as well. 
All of us are in need of God's grace to redeem our brokenness in this area as in every other. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, but all of us have access to redemption by His grace. We'll take communion in a moment as a bunch of sexual perverts together. But let me finally encourage you as we go through this series to read this book. Read it in all sorts of different versions. If you know other languages, read it in other translations. You can go to BibleGateway.com. You can get dozens of different Bible translations there. Read this. Read it as poetry. Read it as something that you're not supposed to read the way you might read Romans, for example, or the way you might read one of the stories out of the Gospels. Read this as God has given it to us. Dwell on it. Dwell on it lovingly. Open yourself prayerfully to what the Spirit is doing to you and in you as you read. There are things in this book that ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other things in Scripture to their own destruction. But the answer to bad exegesis is not no exegesis, but good exegesis. The answer to bad scriptural interpretation is an avoidance it's good interpretation. That's what we want to do. So as we prepare to take communion as justified sinners together, I invite you to stand up. I'll remind you that here at New Hope, we believe that the elements are the gifts of God for the people of God. The bread is unleavened. The red is wine. The white is grape juice. We invite you to come and take the elements Bring them back to your seat, and then we'll partake of them together. But first, let us all join together standing in the words of the Nicene Creed, which the faithful churches throughout the ages have held to as a faithful representation of what God teaches us in Scripture. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.